Abba Yahweh, the opportunity to share your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom again, Father God, to any that would hear, more importantly, to listen and to go to your word, your truth, your knowledge there on the pages and seek your face, Father God, in truth. Blessing this day, Father, that you give me to be able to have this opportunity. Ama Yahweh Ama, Yeshua Ama, Baklitos Aman. So there are going to be a few that will remember this incident and a few that, uh, probably even a few less that will remember this issue that was brought up. But there is a, there is a person and he was a president of this country at one time. And, uh, and actually his son was a president for a short term also. But um, George Bush Sr. brought up a thing that he called and it was a, he really liked the volunteer program and the things that were done, being done by the volunteers in this country. And this was a thing that he uh, reflected on and that he wanted us to think about. And it was called A Thousand Points of Light. And it was an organization and an operation that it would, that he started hoping that it would bring attention and bring to forethought the volunteer program or volunteerism in this country that we would do things to step out more for others. To serve and not be served. And it's interesting, and I bring that up because of the light that we are supposed to shed and share and that we are brought up this to do with light quite often, actually, in the scriptures. And that being seen of light is not so relative to the temporal issues that we are talked about in the scriptures to do and move by faith and not by sight. Granted that we have light that illuminates the darkness and even if you didn't have the light switch or you didn't have a flashlight that you could still move although it's better that you have light it's best that you have light and it's best in our walk that we have that light of the Lord in us because as the scripture shares with us and Jesus shares with us is that we are brought up in the darkness because that's what we revel in. We have many dark activities that we take part in and that we prefer to be in darkness because we believe that it hides what we're doing. We think that we can hide. But I'm going to share that new word that I took from Brother Labak. And I took his word and I like it and I apply it and now I use it. So it's mine. Um, but the hearness, the hearness of God. You can't hide anything because of his hearness, and there's no place that you can go that he is not here. If you're there, he's there. When you're there, he's there. And you leave, he's still there. And then you're going someplace else and he's still there. And the hearness of God or his being with you He's always, he always promises that he won't be with us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. His promise to keep that all the time. And this Sunday we had um, one of our young uh, 
young leaders from our life group was sharing message. And it's very provocative because, pardon me, I have a sneeze coming. <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> pardon me. But the interesting thing, and then it was very provocative because um, he was sharing on this, and he's a young Indian man. Um, I find it, found what he was sharing quite humorous, and, and he intended that. Um, I think many people missed it, but uh, he was sharing about the places that he'd been around the world, and he has a very thick Indian accent, but it's different. You can tell that he is from where he is from by listening, and, and I don't know enough about the Indian dialects to pick up where his accent, except that he shared with me told. But it's very funny because he was sharing of all the different places that he lived for a time in different places in the world. So he was picking up accents, except that the most prominent one and pretty much the only one that you could hear was his Indian accent. And he was talking about uh, England and various other countries and that he spent some time in Pennsylvania and then uh, was living in New York for a number of years. So he picked up a very New York accent, but it wasn't there. Anyway, it was a sense of humor that he had and it was a very, a very good sharing of his time. But what he was sharing was that where he was from, I, can, I cannot remember. I ask forgiveness for that, but I can't remember. But it's an area in India. It is the most densely populated and that his mother and father are still in India and they're still worshiping God. And they are teaching and sharing and that... Um, that 30% of the people have turned themselves over to God, you know, the Indian people, and, and that, uh, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but if you consider that the way he was saying it, and I may not even be getting it right, but considering the fact that where they are from, it's the densest populated area of India, the region of India, and is so densely populated. There's so many people there. When you're talking about the billions of people that are there, millions of people that are there, that that number actually is quite large. And despite the difficulties and things that they have, And what they continually believe is that the difficulties are not going to last and that they have faith in God. And that what they have, they hold on to that it will always be there because they believe and have faith in his promises. And one thing that the scripture does tell us, Jesus tells us this himself, is that we are not promised that everything is going to run smoothly. And this is a misconception that many people have. They believe that when they are Christian and even older Christians that have been around, I would think that they would be reading the Bible. I don't, of course, that based on some of the things that I've heard them talk about and share about, they don't read, the, they might skim through the Bible and they read over certain passages, but they're not reading the Bible. They're not seeking the truth. They're not seeking knowledge. They're not seeking wisdom. And they're certainly not seeking God's face. 
Yeah, that sounds kind of hypercritical, but here we go. They're not, because what they share is totally contrary to what the Bible teaches us. We are not promised a rose garden, and everything doesn't run smoothly simply because we are invited, have been invited by the grace of God and his mercy and by our Lord Jesus Christ, by him giving himself freely. We didn't ask him to come. Granted. And we didn't pay him to come. We couldn't afford it anyway. But he came free will to give us an opportunity to be saved by grace, not by anything that we've done by any way, shape, or form, but here's the thing, and here is the facts, the facts according to the scripture, the facts according to Jesus, and the facts according to Lord God Almighty himself, our sovereignty. By grace are ye saved, and not by works, lest you boast, because there's nothing that we can do that got us our salvation, except to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is your only begotten son. I will have faith and I want the Holy Spirit to guide my steps. That's the only thing that gets us saved. Not some pastor, not some elder, not some person where they pray over you or for you and then they declare that they got you saved. Well, no, they didn't. The grace of God got you saved. They gave you the seed feed to get you drawn to that, and the Holy Spirit convicting your heart. And remember, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is other than the conviction of the law that puts you in prison. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is to get you to change your mind, to change direction, to repent from what you've been doing, and to become a Christian, a true Christian. Remember, you have label heads and you have self-proclaimed Christians. They will declare one thing, but they act and perform different, way differently. So we have to be cautious of that. Be who and what you say you are. Speak the truth. Don't tell people you are if you're not. This is why I... I, when asked... And I've shared this with you before, is that when, when people add, oh, you're a Christian? Well, if you have to put a title to it, I prefer that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's my preference because I am. That's what I do. I study the word. I stay in the word. I seek his face. I look for truth. I share truth. I speak only truth. I don't make things up and I don't try to vaunt my position um, over anyone else, <coughs> pardon me, because I can't do that. Bible tells me not to do that. God tells me not to do that. My Jesus has told me not to do that. And I'm not gonna do that. What I am gonna be about is my father's business to give everyone that can hear my voice and make a decision to follow and get into the word and seek his truth and his knowledge and his wisdom, which he shared with me anyway. But seek that and get in the word and change your mind. Repent. Come to that turning point. Make a turn off the road that you've been on or completely turn around. A turning point can be a, a, just a changing direction. Repentance. That's all repentance is. is just a, a change of direction, a change of mind, and a turnabout. You don't want to travel in that direction anymore. But we want to make sure that through the difficulties that we may encounter, and this has been, this was the second Sunday. Ashlan, I believe is, uh, I don't think I pronounced it right. And Jason from last week was sharing is, are the difficulties that are in our lives. We are not promised that everything is gonna be smooth and everything's gonna be right. 
And if you have older claiming to be Christians that are telling you that it is, well, they're not telling you truthfully and they're not speaking truth because we are told in the scripture and by Jesus Christ that we are not promised everything is going to be just so. And the reason it's not is because there are so many that are, they don't believe, first of all, that Jesus is anyone of import. They don't believe in God and they don't buy the Holy Spirit. They, they don't believe in it and they have this attitude because they're trying to take all this that they have away from them. Well, not exactly. They're just trying to get you to voluntarily give it up. Not looking to take anything from you. You just need to walk away. Change your mind. Change direction. And just like when Jesus was talking to, um, I believe the young man's name was Zacchaeus. And he came to see Jesus. He really wanted to see Jesus and he wanted to know what he could do to have everlasting life. And he'd heard what Jesus was talking about. And I think, just my perception on reading the word and, and the conversation that he had with Jesus, I think the perception that he had of course I'm trying to be in his mindset and I can't be because I wasn't there. But it seems to me the implied conversation, the implied thought process that he had through the conversation was that he wanted to buy his way into heaven. He wanted to purchase an admission ticket. And Jesus was telling him that that can't be done. Of course, he's all upset. And he says, well, what must I do? I want that. What, what do I have to do? And of course, Jesus' parable came immediately afterwards. But he said, what do I have to do? And Jesus said, give away and sell all that you have and come and follow me. Just give it up and come with me. And I want to remind some folks of, of Matthew. I'm going to do that. I like Matthew. I used to think that Paul was a very arrogant individual in some of the things he said when I was younger, as a younger Christian and reading. But nothing that Paul ever displayed or spoke about or shared about was arrogance. It was all bold confidence, righteous confidence in authority that he was given of God. And it was proven over and over again. He was a confident warrior and spoke truth. Now, Matthew, I like because my perspective and my thought process on Matthew, and I've seen others that don't, and they don't think that he did anything so spectacular, except that he did. Matthew, at a very young age, having been kicked out of his house because of what he was doing and basically disowned by his family, in particular his father. And then, of course, his mother rode along on that because dad was in charge. Matthew became very wealthy, and he, at a very young age, was able to purchase a house and he had clothes, he had possessions, and he had, for lack of a better word, I guess you could call him an entourage. And he was being paid by the Romans, and there's no definitive proof of this, but I also believe that there were certain members of the Jewry who were paying him as well, because if they were, if the, their books were showing numbers a certain way that they would be, there'd be no attention by the Romans to them. 
And I think in their appreciation that they were paying Matthew, yeah, it's just speculation. I mean, I, I know how they, I know how CPAs and accountants work in this day and age. And I don't see that there's a lot of difference, honestly. But when Jesus called Matthew, he walked away from that readily. He just walked away. He left the wealth. He left his protection, his bodyguards, all that. He walked away from it. And he came to follow Jesus, not knowing where he was going to go, not knowing where he was going to lay his head, not knowing what he was going to have to eat. But he just left and he went to follow Jesus. And in this day and age, we see a great deal of difficulty in that by anyone. But anyway, back to Zacchaeus. So this discussion that he was having with this young man who is quite wealthy, and I believe because of the conversation that they were having and the perspective and just the tonation of the conversation by what I could read, is that he was trying to buy his way into heaven. He thought he could buy an admission ticket. Jesus told him how to do it. He said, okay. So you want to get in heaven? Give away everything you have. Sell everything you have. Everything. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And now he was totally bewildered. He was totally perplexed and he was totally beside himself with grief and, and absolute unknowing he didn't understand. He said, wait a second. He said, I, I have so much. I have so many possessions. I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this. Where his treasure was, his heart was there also. And it wasn't actually with Jesus. He liked what he was hearing, but he wasn't willing to give up Anything, and you see that in the churches today. When you have churches that talk about that, let me let me pose this to you. Okay, I'm going to jump over right quick. I, I know I left it left off. How do you think that churches perform, pay the electric bills, take care of things that they got to take care of? You have some of them that have you know they got to pay the the city waste people to come up and water that's provided for the restrooms and things that they have there and the supplies that they have to have, the, the materials that they have to teach the kids, and they give away Bibles. And they, where do you think that all comes from? Do you think that cities just give it to them? And that some of these churches that need to be remodeled, rebuilt in the property that they're on, you think that these sometimes, now granted, some people gifted property to churches. They, they have done that. But the churches are still responsible for property taxes and all those other things. Where do you think it comes from? You think that's just free? You think the churches just get it? You have a thing called tithes and offerings. And when you tithe, you pray that that money is sent to the direction that it needs to go by God's will and God's will that the churches function and operate and that portion of that money or in a different direction. You think that pastors have all these other jobs that they do and then they only come to church on Sunday to preach their message and to teach? And you think that that's all that they do? Well, let me enlighten some folks here. I'm not the church bookkeeper, but there are things that require payment, especially in this world that we're in today. And you have individuals that have paid positions in the churches. And churches have what's called a budget. So the tithes and offerings are an important aspect. And yet you have 
the folks, it seems, the ones that are have the most difficulty in letting any of that go are those that think that they are wealthy or have. They have the most problem, and I've witnessed this probably my whole church life. I'm going to be 66 really soon, and all I've seen all the way up when I started getting old enough to pay attention to things like this is that the ones that had the most problem in giving tithes or offerings are the people that had money, that had the money. And that's where they put their heart was in their money and their possessions. The one thing that I learned growing up with my mother and father is that every single, and I, my father would, would go into the den at a certain time of the month, every month he would go into the den and he'd be doing the bookkeeping, the balance in the checkbook and do all that he had to do. And the first thing that always came, I remember when I was old enough and I just kind of walked in there because usually the door was closed. And sometimes if he didn't close it all the way, I would try to push the door open and go in. I was always very careful not to be disturbing and, and carousing around as a young child, but paying attention to what was being done. And I can see that he had, he had all the books and all the things out. The first thing that he was doing was that he was, in those days, he used to still write checks. And he used to write a check and that was for the church. And he put it in an envelope and that went for the church. That was his time. Before doing anything else, he wrote that out to the church. Very first thing. And I have started, I didn't always function in that way. But now, my tithing goes to the church and I'm I'm not in the position that I used to have. I don't care. God blesses me greatly. God takes care of me. The first thing that comes out of anything I get goes to God. I make sure that that goes into my tithing. And God blesses me greatly. When he blesses me, I bless others and I bless back to the church. And I love this thing that I do, but I always try to remember to tell the kids and when they they bring the stuff up, this is so great. I always tell them, I said, I'm bringing this to you because God tells me to bring it to you as a gift from him. I get to bring it to you, but this is from God. I always tell them that it's a gift from God. It's a blessing from God and I get to bring it. And I always remember that no matter what I have, no matter what I do, the first thing the scripture tells us that we should sacrifice that time first thing in the morning. Before you get out, before I get up, I always try to remember that, and, and I miss it sometimes. So I have to do it just before I start sharing with you all here on God's podcast. Before I get up and go, that I'm talking to God and thanking him for the day, thanking him for the new day and putting my prayers out for everyone. As I tell you, I pray daily going out and coming in. So before I take off and go out to do anything out and about, my prayers are for you and over you to God, thanking him for even giving me the breath of the day. Because without his breath in my lungs, I wouldn't even have the day. Wouldn't have it. It's by his grace. Brothers and sisters, we have to remember this all the time. And, and it's difficult for many people. But then a point came up, the Holy Spirit was taking me in this direction as well. Is that when the Bible talks about we must live by faith and not by sight. And I got to pondering this and, and talking to my father. And the Holy Spirit is talking to me and saying, telling me that what I'm going to share with you is 
truth. And it comes from God. So it's okay. It's a good thing. And as I shared with you, I always share truth and knowledge that comes from him. Not about me, but at any rate. Remember what the scripture tells us and Paul reminds us that we walk by faith and not by sight. Which is important because of things that we see and do in the world. But let me throw this ponderance to you. Is Jesus Christ, Jesus Emmanuel Christ, the very epitome of that statement? And further in that scripture that Paul shares with us is that when you see visually, it's temporal. And then we're going to jump back over to Jesus again. And even to some of his disciples. And when he got ready to go to the mountain transfigured, the scripture even says, and some walked away. Some left. Well, the indication for me is that their faith, faith wasn't exactly where it needed to be, that their they were believing what they were seeing because Jesus was there. They saw him. They got it. But then he wasn't there. And I believe, too, when Jesus was teaching us, and I'm getting a little more excited here because the Holy Spirit's got a little sharp stick and he's kind of giving me that prodding. So what I'm sharing is that when he was saying that we... <clears throat> When Jesus was sharing with us and telling us that he's going to be yet a little while and we're not going to understand and then we're going to see him and then we're going to be with him, he's prodding us in that direction. And for those disciples that were physically with him, is that's the direction he was trying to get them to see and understand. His very life was the epitome of that scripture that we're told by faith and not by sight. So when he left and he was transfigured and glorified and went back to heaven, the scripture tells us that many just left. They couldn't see him anymore. So what did they have to believe in? They were, they were there and they were going along with what they saw more so than what they believed and had faith in. And of course, you had many that stayed because they believed, they had faith. The very life, the very life, the epitome of what the scripture is teaching us about living by faith and not by sight was in the physicality of Jesus Christ himself and his exact teachings. And of course, we have to remember that he is the word anyway. And he was with God from the beginning. In and with and by God and witness, and he is the word. John tells us that in chapter one. Chapter one, verse one, in John. I'm gonna flip over there right quick. I'm just gonna give you a reminder. Bear with me a moment. I'm over here in John 15, and I'm going back over here. Just a quick reminder of this, that Jesus was, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. We are talking about Jesus Christ. He is the Word. He is with God now was with God then, was with us, and he is with us. God is with us all the time. And this is that practicing, and I, I love that new word. I love that. Brother Labak, thank you. The hearness of God. Can't see him, but I know he's here. I have faith. I can feel him. 
And I can... Thank you, Father. When he puts his arms around me and he gives me a hug, this is what happens. I get this bubbling up and I can't, I can't help myself. I know he's here because when I feel him wrap his arms around me and he hugs me and he gives me that, that godly squeeze, doesn't turn me into powder, but he just puts his arm around me and he kind of pulls me in and he gives me a nice snug hug. And then I can feel the emotions well up in me. I can't stop that. I can't not. It's the love of God. It's his hearness that he's sharing with me. I cannot see him, but I have faith that he is here. I believe that he is here. I know that by this word, by his... <clears throat> by his promises, by the empirical evidence that he has time and time and time again shared with me and seen, and by the infallible truths that I find in his word, the infallible truths that cannot be, you cannot dissuade me because of what I find in the scripture, what I have found, what I've learned and what I've read and what the Holy Spirit has guided me into. This is so much power. And the Spirit is taking me right here. And when Jesus when Jesus appeared and when Jesus was with them And he appeared in the upper room. And you remember Thomas, also called Didymus. So sometimes if you read the scriptures and you see that name, they're talking about Thomas. But Thomas had told the disciples because they he wasn't with them a few times when Jesus appeared the first time when he was in the upper room and he just showed up through the locked door. And pardon me, that was a little coffee break. And they shared with him. And you see how this kind of this, this roiling goes up because when the women first went to the tomb, the disciples didn't want to believe them. They just thought that they were, they were women that had gone and they were, they were all gaga over what was going on. So, of course, they doubted them. And then, of course, you had John and Peter. They ran up to the tomb and or, and uh, got up there and they saw that he wasn't there and they came back and they shared also. And then the other disciples that didn't go, they didn't believe them. And then Jesus showed up. And, of course, they believed because the room was locked. They were fearful because they were actually being hunted. They're being chased by the Romans, the Herodians, and the pharisaical tyrants. Interesting, they were being enacting the exact same thing that they were arguing against. But anyway, Thomas wasn't there. And then when Thomas came up there, what did Thomas tell them? They shared with him. Yeah, uh, we can see this in John. John shares with us in 20. 
25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see him in his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas was a for lack of a better description, he was a um, he was a very business oriented individual. It was very practical, but quite honestly I have issue there because he was good with the physicality, but he had difficulty with his faith and believing when Jesus wasn't there. And then after a time, it was about a little bit over another week and the disciples and everybody was up in the upper room and this time Thomas was there. The doors were shut, locked, and Jesus came and was standing in the midst again. And he said to Thomas, and see, he knew what Thomas had said to the other disciples. Further in verse 27, then said he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. So he was offering to Thomas to reinforce him and let him know that it was indeed truth and that he kept his promise and his word. And he understood that Thomas had a little issue with that. So he didn't, he wasn't condemning. He wasn't negative, but he said, okay, here you go. Here, here comes infallible truth. And here is empirical evidence. Touch my hand. See the nail prints? Where the nails were driven in? And go ahead and put your put your fingertips, take your hand and put it there. This is where they shoved the spear into me. And then, of course... Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, this was a, a gentle rebuke. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And as you read further, that we have to understand that this is part of what Jesus was giving the reinforcement to Thomas. He knew that Thomas had that speculative attitude, but he wasn't, he wasn't hurtful toward him and condemning in any way, shape, or form. Further in verse 30, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in his book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. To reinforce the faith. Which is important. Faith. Walk by faith and not by sight. I have faith that Jesus, Emmanuel, Christ, is the only begotten Son of God and didn't come for our sake. And remember, unlike many of our names, our earthly names, you have your first name, middle name, and last name. And that's, that's not what was given to Jesus. He was told that his name would be given Jesus. And, you know, of course, back in that day, the culture was Bar Joseph, being that his earthly father was Joseph and his mother Mary. Jesus, Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, God in us, Christ, anointed of God. 
Bar Joseph. Given that his earthly father was Joseph. Faith in what we don't see. And that we must walk in that way. And this is what the messages that were these last couple of weeks by these young men, these life group leaders given to them. But we have to remember too that we're not promised the difficulties won't rattle our cages. We're going to get rattled. I have been many times, and I've been, quite honestly, fighting. But in the mental, spiritual warfare that we have, and this is part of our spiritual warfare, is for our minds and our souls. And it's important that we look at that aspect of this spiritual warfare because people don't realize this. And I've shared this time and time and time again, and I cannot emphasize it enough, and I'm going to keep on sharing it. You get tired of it, just don't listen anymore. Remember what I tell you all the time? I don't care. What I do care is that I'm sharing the truth and knowledge and wisdom that God gives me to share with you, and I want you to listen and hear what I'm saying, and go to the scripture and check it for yourself. But the spiritual warfare is for our mind and our soul. Our mind, because it is the weakest point of attack. I have shared with you time and time again, and you can read it in, you can read in the book of Proverbs, which is credit given to Solomon for having written most of, if not all of it. And you see that in the scriptures about Solomon and David. You read about their falling, and a lot of people say, well, how can you say this about David, and how can you say that about David? Well, who are you to judge? You weren't there, and you don't know, but you're judging from what you're reading. But Jesus called David a man after his own heart, and he didn't care what you say, just like I don't care. In that way, what God cared about was the character of his heart, and the character of David's heart was that God was his and he was God's. He is God's. And God called him a man after my own heart. David fell, but he got right back up and he went to the very place that he needed to be. God, prayerful, mindful of God's presence. He was practicing the hearness of God. I love that word, the hearness of God. He was practicing that through his walk of life. And in everything that was going on, he was practicing being with God, about God, speaking about God, sharing to God, worshiping God, praising God. Was he perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. Am I truthful? Yes. Do I practice the hearness of God, practice being with God? Yes. Do I believe everything that's written in the Bible? Yes. Do I share his truth, knowledge, and wisdom with anyone that I possibly can? Yes. Am I about my father's business? Yes. Am I perfect? Am I rich? No. No. But the riches that I have that come from my father God come out of his resources and I'm wealthier beyond any scope that man can give. And what I do believe through my spiritual eyesight that it sustains me and our Lord will not ever, ever abandon us. I believe all this. I believe this word. I believe his word. I believe the truth and knowledge and wisdom of the Lord God Almighty. I may not physically see him, but I know he's here. <laughs> and when he hugs me for sharing and being just, it wells up the emotion 
and it gets up there and then they leak. The emotions, they leak. I can't help that. I don't want to try to help it. It kind of, not kind of, it, it does. It feels really great when he puts his arms around me and he gives me that, that he's doing it again. Oh, Father. Oh. When he gives me that, he just puts his, and, and my earthly father would do that at times. He would just kind of, without any apparent reason for it, he would just kind of walk by me in the house and he would just give me a quick little hug, squeeze, pull me in, and then just let me go on my way. God does that. And it feels really good. Thank you, Father. So when he does, and you hear me get squeaky, that's because he's squeezing. And that's what he does. So brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers, going out and coming in daily. God is great. God is good. And he is... He is. And remember this too, that the Holy Spirit brought this to me, is it <clears throat> showing me this? I'm not quite certain why he did that. But remember that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the church body and the saints. And remember that if you're in a place and you're feeling the confusion, that that's not from God. That doesn't come from God. Try the Spirit because the Spirit may be telling you that something needs to move, something needs to change. Try the Spirit and get directions. That was meant for somebody. I'm not sure why, but he took me right there and I needed to share that. So... You hear my prayers going out and coming in. Have a blessed day.